Well, you should have a, in your handout there, you should have an outline to follow with me. We'll look at that here in just a minute. And you should also have a handout here, Genesis 1, 11 through 26. We're just going to kind of review where we've been. But I wanted to begin with an illustration about the call or the draft. Um, the call or the draft in the military ended in 1973, in the year of our birth, Sheldon. That's when it ended. But before then, there was a draft or a call to serve your country. So much so was that important that there have been professional organizations, professional sports organizations that use that language of the draft to, to be called up to the big leagues. They even use this on the other side of the pond to call people into another game called football. And it used to be when young people dreamed of being called up to those sports that they were not living for money. Nowadays, it's been warped and and really tainted. It's about money. It's about how much I can make in as little a time. But that's not what it was about for some a long time ago. And hopefully for others, that's not what it's about. It's about money. It's about living for something bigger than yourself. And it's definitely not what it is in the military. When you were called to the military, it was not about you. So much so that you went and you became a part of a, a unit, a company, a brigade. And it was not about you. And it's still not. That, that you can be and go, it's voluntary now, but you can go and be a part of something bigger than you in the military. The cause is not about what I can do. It's about what we can do for something bigger than ourselves. And you and I as believers need to understand that the greatest commander-in-chief ever has not only saved you and I, but he's called us to something called us to something bigger than ourselves, something that doesn't just incorporate my personal little walk with Jesus, not just my family, not just this church. No, it it begins in your own life and in your family and this church and other churches. As we come together, there's something greater out there. And so what has God called us to be and do? That's what we're going to answer. That's what's answered for us in this last section on, in Genesis, on building a biblical worldview, you can see that breaks down nicely into the selection of God's man and then the commission of God's man, this call of Abraham. And you can see the main point is this, the king of the universe, we've been talking about him since the beginning. God, the father created the world and he is the king of the universe. And he promises to bless the world through one man representing one people. And so we're going to see that in this text, we're going to see the selection of Abram. We can't even call him Abraham yet. That's in the fall when, in, when God names him the father of all nations. Here he's Abram and we will see the call of Abram. It begins in Genesis 11 verse 10. And that's what we're going to read now is Genesis 11 verse 10 through 32. This is the selection of of God's man. And we're moving from a sweeping context here. We're moving from thousands of years of information down to one man. And we're going to see in the fall, 175 years of his life. And if you notice on the outline that you have in front of you, it is the world and it is lit up. The idea behind that is the gospel should go to all nations. And what we're doing here is we're ending this section on building a biblical worldview. 
The definition, if you're following along in your handout, is a lens through which we view and thus live in the world. And so as these glasses help me to see, without them I see you. Yes, Mike, you're, you're, you're going along with the, the illustration. You can see me too. It's kind of fuzzy. Do you have yours on? You have yours on as well. Because if you don't, it's kind of fuzzy. And that's what a worldview does is it clarifies for us what we're called to do, how we're supposed to view the world and thus live in it. In the dimensions, there's five crucial questions. More on that word crucial next week. It comes from the Latin word meaning cross. You've got to answer five questions if you're going to have a biblical worldview. Every worldview holds to them. Where did we come from? Why are we here? What went wrong? And how it is fixed? And where are we headed? In Genesis 1 through 11:26, through what we'll see today and then we'll creep into the next major section, we see that those questions are answered for us. The biblical answers to the questions of life. The origin, where did we come from? Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 answers that for us. The sovereign king of the universe created the earth good and for good. Our purpose in life within that section in Genesis 1, 28, as image bearers of the sovereign king, our creation mandate is to fill the earth and work the earth for his glory. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The problem comes in 2, 4 through 426, that man corrupted the creation when he rejected God as sovereign king and followed the slithery usurper. The solution comes within that section, Genesis 3.15, that though Satan would bruise his heel, a seed of the woman would crush Satan. And so the sovereign king of the universe judges evil and extends grace to his rebellious creatures. And then finally, where are we headed? Genesis 5, 1 through eleven twenty six shows us that though civilization progresses socially and technologically, it regresses spiritually and thus must be saved from itself by God. We're really only, people in life are only heading down two roads. They're heading down the road with God to eternal life with him through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit or they're heading to hell. There's only two ways to live. There's not a plethora. We're not into pluralism. It's not out there. There's not a plethora of options that all roads lead to the same God. That's just not true. There's only two ways to live. And the flow of this first section, you move from creation to corruption to the consequences of that corruption to a recreation through Noah and then a rebellion even after that we saw last week. And then finally, the road to redemption is introduced here as we see Abram, who would be the father of, many nations through him would come our savior jesus and if you're looking there at the end there the book of genesis is the book of beginnings and there's a lot of firsts we see the first man and woman there's the origin of man if people ask us where where what is the origin of man it is not that he evolved over billions of years it god created man and woman marriage marriage is not just a contract between partners marriage was instituted it's actually the first teaching of the bible then in 1 1 through 2 20 Three, you just get descriptions in the first teaching and Acts starts in 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and the woman were naked and they were not ashamed. That's the first teaching. So we're describing creation. And the, the penultimate idea of that is man and woman together forming society, community. It's that important. It's that important. And then we see the first sin, the origin of evil. Evil isn't just out there. Um, 
like there's a God and there's evil and they're, they're on the same field and they kind of war with one another. No, God is sovereign and evil is a parasite to good. And there's the origin of evil and suffering and it came through sin. There's the first blame shifting between people. And you see it today. You see it. Men can be passive and will not take responsibility for their marriages and their lives. And you can see it in women as well. Well, it's the, uh, it's not me. It's the woman you gave me. And instead of the woman owning to it, she goes, hey, what me? The devil made me do it. So we see this first blame shifting that, and what amazes me is that you see it today. So it started there. You see it today. And it's just, for me, it just verifies what's there is true. I see what happened. Then you see the first judgment of evil, the curse. And then you see the proto-evangelion, the first gospel, something had to die. Adam and Eve, God would not accept their fig leaf religion. And so God had to kill something to cover them. Then you see right after that in Genesis 4, the hypocrisy of man in the person of Cain. You see the first murder, the first lies. You see civilization, agriculture, arts, and technology. Are those still around today? Agriculture, technology, the arts, they're still around today. That's where they began. First mockery of God, Lamech. The first worship of God, Seth, in, in his line, they call upon the Lord. You see the first death, the whole chapter was given in chapter 5 of death. You see the first rapture, that is the first glimmer of escape for those who walk with God. You see the first spiritual warfare and angels and demons. Then you see another aspect of that same gospel, that salvation would come through one man. Something had to die and it would come through one man. That God was going to judge the world, but if you were on the ark with Noah, you were saved. And you see the first worldwide judgment of a sinful humanity. You see your first zoo. There it is, right there. Children. Don't always, it was right here. This is where it started. First zoo, Noah's ark. Then you see the first promise, the first covenant, the Noahic covenant, and the first sign of that promise, the rainbow. God will never again judge the earth by flood. You see the first vineyard, the first drunkenness, the first voyeurism, the first philosophy of man, humanism. Humanism. Let us make, let us get some bricks, let us build a city, and let us make a name for ourselves. Because we, humans, are the best. There's your first philosophy ever. The first confusion in communication, God said, no, no, children, as as you build up your little tower, I will come down and I will spread you out throughout the earth. If you will not do what I've called you to do, trust me, I'm sovereign and I will move you out. And thus we trickle into the next section here, that another angle that the gospel would bring worldwide blessing. And that's what we're going to look at today, that worldwide blessing would come through one man and that one man would have to die. It's a nice way to set up Easter week. And so that is the sweeping context. And now we're getting into Shem's descendants. And so last week you ended chapter 10 with the, the... Call and 31 there, the sons of Shem. And so we had that little break, the parentheses of the Tower of Babel, and now it picks back up in 1110. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah, and Arpachshad lived... After And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. 
And Shelah lived 30 years. He fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years. And he had seven sons and daughters. When either had lived, lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And either lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years. And he had other sons and daughters. And when Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. And Peleg lived another. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years. And he had other sons and daughters. And when Ru had lived 32 years, he fathered Sarag. And Ru lived after he fathered Sarag 207 years. And he had other sons and daughters. And when Sarag had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarag lived after he had fathered Nahor 200 years. And he had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years. And he had other sons and daughters. And when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, or Haran. And so you see that if you were to flip your Bible just back to the left and look at chapter 5, it's almost the exact same pattern. And what Moses, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is trying to get us to see is that these are the line that mankind is still multiplying. And if you go back to verse 32 of chapter 11, you see that the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died. And so the idea that as mankind still multiplies, mankind still dies, and that this sweeping from the sons of Noah, it's been narrowed down to the line of Shem. Genesis eleven ten through 26, that's Shem's descendants. And now we see in 27 through 32, the line of Abraham. We're moving, if we were moving towards the covenant people, now we're moving into this idea of the promised land. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. Another first in the scripture. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Now, when they had come to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so you see, as mankind multiplies, mankind dies, but we are now narrowed down to one man, Abram, and his family. And so we're dipping into a new section. You noticed in 1110, these are the generations of, and 1127, these are generations of those. There are signs for us as we've studied this, a different section. And so we're creeping into this major section. 1127 will go all the way through 2518. The life of Abraham. We will see that this fall. So we're kind of getting a, a little taste. It's like taking some of Ivan's beef on the grill and you're grilling it and you're wondering, what is this going to taste like? Because it sure smells good. And so you, what do you do? You take a little taste and you're like, this is good. This is real good. So we're just getting a taste this week of Abram. And so Abram and his family are to leave their country. According to one commentary, it says this, that according to the Keltepe text, I'm sure you have read those, right? You read them last night? Me too. From the 19th century BC, Haran was one of those important cities 
and crossroads in the ancient Near East. It's like Denver. It's like Dallas. It's like New York and L.A. This is a major city. And so God is still the God of the city. And he's going to work through major areas of development to bring his gospel. And thus, you see in 27 through 32, you see some foreshadowing. We're, we're introduced to Lot, we're introduced to the land of Canaan, and we're introduced to this idea of life without children. And all three of these, Lot, Canaan, and barrenness, are going to be issues of which Abraham has to grow in faith. The people would, he would have to trust God with people. He would have to trust God in the place he was going to live, and he was going to have to trust God with the promise He's getting ready to make. Each of these issues would test his faith. And so the summary, as before we get into um, the call of Abram, God is going to use one man as a representative of the people to bless the entire world. So here's the call in 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord God said, or the Lord God had said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God's call to Abram, it is his invitation to him to follow after God. And he gives these promises and he gives a purpose. He gives four promises. You see it all with the words, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. God reveals his will will to Abraham. You see that in verse 1. Now he said, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land. I will show you. I will reveal where you're supposed to go. Then God says, he will make his people great. Not that the people make themselves great. God will make the people great. You see this in the New Testament. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 is the prayer of Paul. And he says, now may the God of all mercy make you worthy of his calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Well, how does that happen? Because God makes you worthy. From the beginning here, we see God makes his people great. I will make you great. And God blesses his people. I will bless you. And make your name great. That Abraham would form a family and it would become the nation of Israel. We'll concentrate more on that in the spring of 2012. And that through this nation would come one man who would be the blessing for the entire world. And God also promises to curse. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. He will reveal his will. He'll make his people great. He'll bless his people, but he will curse those who go against them. Notice this. Let's read this closely. I will bless those, plural, who bless you. And him, singular, who dishonors you, I will curse. The idea behind the switch there from plural to singular is to show you that God's blessing will be far greater than his curse, but it's to let you know that God will curse those who oppose his people. 
he will. Thus, Paul can say in Romans 12, do not take vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord. God will take care of it. If we're being persecuted, God will take care of it. That is what gives me great comfort in these trying times that we live in. Should things get worse, I don't need to take anything into my own hands. God's going to protect me. I will preach his truth, proclaim his truth. Anybody behind this pulpit would, should do the same. And if I should go to jail, I will go to jail. But God will take care of me. And he does those four things, like he says, for two reasons. And in you, the idea of in you here means by means of you, that he will be the covenantal representative of the people. He is a foreshadowing of one to come. In you, all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. God's people will be a blessing. I think of Psalm 67. just comes to mind. Just listen to the idea of God's people being a blessing so that they may be a blessing to the world. May God be gracious to us and cause his face to and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power to all nations. God, cause your face to shine upon us, not because I just want you to bless me. Just bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. It's bless me so that through me you can bless the world. God's people would be a blessing and that God would bless the world through one man who represented the people of God. So God's plan is to reach the, the world through his people. That's, that's his plan. That's why Eagle Bible Church exists. God wants to reach the world through us, his people. It's, it's that clear. No need to write a new business plan. No need to come up with anything fancy. That's God's plan. Has been from the beginning. Jesus Christ declared it so in Matthew 28, and that's what we're living out here. We exist to bring glory to God and good to the world as followers of Christ committed to a church engaged in culture. God's going to bless his people to reach the world. And God promises, you see it in Genesis 12, to guide, to grow, and to favor those who walk with them, and he will thwart the plans of those who don't. And you saw it just last week. If you're going to try to build a name and a tower and get the glory for yourself, I will scatter that. If you join me, you will be a blessing. So how does Abraham do? I keep saying Abraham. He's Abram. How does Abram do? We'll look at verse 4. So Abraham went. Love that. God says, Abraham goes. Abram goes. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem and took to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. He's just giving him a reminder. And so, Abram went. Look at what it says. As the Lord had told him. Interesting point here. You can look at Acts 7, 2 verse 3. And Stephen says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The Lord of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, 
before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out of your land from your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. It seems from what Stephen says and what Acts gives us is that Terah, or excuse me, Nahor and Abram and Lot are all in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. God speaks to Abram. And in the course of time, his father leaves and he goes with him. God has given him this call. And as God started to create the world, he spoke it into existence. And as God's going down the roads of redemption, he speaks to Abraham. He says to him, go. He has these promises for a purpose. And his command is go. First words there you see in 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. That's God's command. Go. Not sit around here and wait for people to come. It's go. And I love what he did. He went. It's that simple. Obedience is not difficult. First John 5 tells us that. To obey my commands is not difficult. They're not a burden to you. Go. The difficulty comes, little sermon within a sermon, believing God. Do I believe if I do what he calls me to do and live out the word that he will bless me? Do I believe that? Because if I believe it, I'll do it. And Abraham believed God and he went as the Lord had told him. And notice what it says here. And Abram was 75 years old. It's never, catch this, it's never too late to be used by God. Ever. I'm looking around and I don't think I'm just being gracious, but I don't think I see any 75-year-old people. So even at age 75, God calls people. It's never too late. Augustine, everybody claims Augustine. Augustine didn't start his ministry until his later 40s. It's never too late to be used by God. And you see it fleshed out there that he takes Sariah's wife and Lot, the idea behind that is he was responsible to care for his own. He was responsible to his family, yet he wasn't focused on his family. In the midst of ministry, he was responsible to his family, but it didn't replace the ministry that God called him to do. Got to catch that. He, he was responsible to his family, but it didn't replace God's call upon his life. I think sometimes we get that confused. Man, family is a ministry in and of itself, but we should take, like Abram, our families and be focused on God. And he goes to Shechem. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land to a place at Shechem. And Deuteronomy tells us this is the place where they get the curses and the blessings. Joshua tells us this is the place where he gives the last charge to the people. In 1 Kings 12, this is where the play, the kingdom is divided. This is an important place. Abraham goes, he follows God, he's responsible for his family, and he goes to where God would work. And it was from there major things would happen. And he goes, it says in the text, all the way to Moray, to the Oak of Moray. The idea behind that is he's going out from his land of polytheism, goes to the place where God calls him to be, and right there in the midst of this land is pagan worship. It's a terebinth tree. It is where pagan worship is going on. And so in the middle 
of this land, Abraham took a stand for God. He put his stake in the ground. Now, this isn't a compromise that Abraham didn't show up and go, let us build an interfaith chapel so you can have your terebinth tree and I can have my altar to God. But right at the same time, right in the same place, he said, no, I'm going as God called me. And I'm going to put something here. More on that in a minute. And so he walks in obedience to God. And it's at that place where there will be a lot of turmoil. Because when you take a stand for God, opposition will come. Timothy tells us, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be. It is a promise. I have a friend that often quotes this. It is a promise for us to be persecuted. It's a promise. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And Abram would be persecuted. And then he says, to your offspring. He confirms that call. So he gave the call back when he was in Ur of the Chaldees and he walks, oh, he's not, he probably walked, it took a long time. Illustration, he gets to Shechem and the Oak of Moray and he confirms it. To your Offspring, I will give this land. Let's not forget, Sarai is barren. To your offspring. She doesn't have any kids. And so listen to this, this great man of the faith in Hebrews 11, verse 8. Just listen to this. By faith... Abraham, by that time his name had been changed, obeyed when he was called to go out of the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now this is not, don't take this too far, and it's not against planning. A man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This is not opposed to planning. Abram took a lot. He took his family. I'm sure there was some getting families together to travel takes planning, right? Especially with little munchkins. It takes a lot of planning. But this is a call to trust God. God called him and not knowing where he's going, he said, go. And Abraham goes. He went to the unseen. That, that he didn't see a nation in front of him. But he went. He went to the untangible. He He didn't know where this land was and how the boundaries were going to be set. And he went to the unimaginable that I don't think Abram fully understood. Fully. What God was doing through him would come the legacy of Christianity to a land unseen, to a people untouched, to a legacy of Christianity. And so he goes And back in Genesis 12, look what it says there in verse, I think it's the end of 7, beginning of 8. The Lord appeared to him and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And his first response, he's gone, he's taken, he's passed through, he's stopped, God appears, and it says he built. Like his distant ancestor, Seth, He called upon the name of the Lord like his ancestor Noah. He built an altar to God. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. We see that in 7 and 8, he built an altar to the Lord. You'll see it again in 13. You'll see it again uh, twice in 13. And you'll see it again in 22. 
Abram's life is about building altars to God. He is remembered about building altars to God, not achievements for himself. How are we doing? Are we putting stakes in the ground as kind of flags of, look at me. Or when people see us and remember us, are they saying, that person serves a mighty God. And so Abram gets the call. Abram obeys the call. Abram starts. We now see the full fruits of, not even full fruits, we see 2,000 years later, the fruits of his obedience. And if you'll turn with me to Galatians, or you can look up on the overhead, Galatians 3, 7. What is the connection? Okay, that's good, that's good Old Testament teaching. How is that connected to us in the gospel? Paul doesn't leave us without explanation. As Abram was called to carry out God's will at that time, so we too have been called as children, sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, starting in verse 7, it says this, Know then that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel, preached the gospel, the good news, beforehand, beforehand to Abraham, saying, and he quotes what we've just studied, in you all the nations shall be blessed. The result, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What is the gospel? What is the good news? There's a lot of people talking about it today. Let's, let's make sure we get it right. The gospel is good news from God. It is news. It is not, um, I, it's not an idea to be tainted with. Right? Let's just kind of discuss the gospel. I have an idea. Let's go discuss the gospel. No, it is news. It has happened, and it is to be proclaimed, to be researched, to be looked back at. But it is the good news from God. And it's the good news that sinners, those separated from God, have been reconciled to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. More on that next week. He thinks it's appropriate. It's Easter. What does the gospel offer to us? God said to Abraham, I'll give you this, I'll do that, I'll do that. What about us? Well, it's a multifaceted diamond. When I was looking at my wife's diamond before I purchased it, I was looking at it all different sides. And I didn't just concentrate on one side, I looked at all of them. And it shines brightly. That's what the gospel does. But in this text, in this passage, if you look in Galatians 1 through 6, Paul is talking about justification to being declared not guilty, to be free, to be empowered to live the gospel. He says in 3.1, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul was not afraid to speak bluntly. It was, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? That is what we receive when we believe by works of the law or by hearing with faith. The idea, it's not by works of the law, it's by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? The idea is that you cannot work for your salvation. And even post-cross, it is all your works you were empowered by the Spirit. 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And he goes on to describe, it is not works of the law. Your works lead to death, but it's justification. It's being declared not guilty. It's being declared when you bow your knee and you say, God, I... I forgive me. I confess my sins to you. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. He says, not guilty. He looks at Mike Pittman and he said, not guilty. Your, your, your slate is wiped clean. The debt that we owed to God is replaced. And so, from, Gen- from Galatians 1 through uh, Three, one through nine, we get this. God never bestows the position of guiltlessness without, without the power to live free. Catch that? God never bestows the position of guiltlessness. We are, we are not guilty, and we also have this power to live free, that we receive both the pardon from God and the person of the Spirit at the same time to the fullest degree. You believe that? At the same time. Did you not receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing in faith? Well, with hearing with faith, you received the Spirit. You were pardoned and you received the Spirit, all of the Spirit. The debt is wiped clean. It, it's the idea, I'm going to count it, so go with me here. Jenkins, you like this. Had debt stacking up against me, insurmountable debt. God, forgive me. I have sinned against you and in the sight of men. He wipes that debt And you know what he does? He doesn't just wipe it clean. Do you know what he does? You get an unending bank account. Right now, let's do that. I mean, try that with Mickey at U.S. Bank tomorrow. Will you please take away all my debt and just give me an... He would look at you like you're crazy. But that's what God in his grace does. He takes away all your debt. You owe nothing else. And then he gives you an unending bank account the idea is the power of the Holy Spirit forever. It's, a done, it's like at that same day, there's no lag time. No, no banker's lag time. That same day, wiped clean, power of the Spirit forever. And through the Word and through prayer, that's how you have access to this Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, which we will study in two weeks. But we're going to study him and we have access to this unending bank account. Now, if I were to go today to the U.S. Bank to get money out, right? With very limited funds, by the way. But we have some funds in there. I need two things. I need this and what else? Pin number. Two things. It's good. I go to this bank and I put in the card and the number and I get out money. Now, this is an illustration. No illustration is perfect. So don't be saying, oh, Judd thinks the Holy Spirit's a bank account. No, I don't think. I think he's a person. I think he's co-eternal with the Father and the Son. More on that in a couple of weeks. I'm going to learn more. But here's the idea. My debt's wiped clean. I've got this unending bank account. And through the power of the word and through prayer, that Holy Spirit gives me the ability to go out and live for God. Apart from Jesus, I am nothing. And apart from the Spirit, I have not the power to do 
what God has called me to do. And we receive that not by any work. Did you receive the spirit? He's talking about salvation here. When Jesus was crucified and you believed in that death, did you receive the spirit by works or by faith? By faith. And so the gospel is the good news from God. The gospel is an unending blessing for us. And the gospel comes to us by faith. It changes our motives and it empowers us to live to God. We don't think differently. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, we believe differently. We want to do the things of God. And so the same God who called Abraham has called us. And that call in the scripture is the salvific call. When he called you, he sa- it says in Romans, those whom he called, he justified. And he's now sanctifying us and he will glorify us. And at the same time, when you and I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave us a commission. Everybody. It's not just for me. It's not just for you or Andrew. It's not just for the elders. It's not just for those who are leaders in the church. It's not just for them. It's for everybody. The same God who called him is still sovereign and he's still calling people to salvation and to his work. And Abraham's call or Abram's call was specific and unique. We're not called in the same way he was called. God spoke audibly to him. God appeared to him. God has never spoken audibly to me. He's given me 66 books. I can hear his voice every day, all day. And he's never appeared to me. I don't think he's appearing anymore because the scripture says no one has seen God. But though we see dimly, we have a fuller picture than our forefather. And his actions serve as an application to us. What did he do? What did Abraham do? He followed God. Go. What does he do? He went. He went. He took. He passed by. He stopped. And when the Lord appealed to him, he built altars to God. And I love this. I held this to the end for a specific purpose. Look at the very end of Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Love this verse. And Abraham journeyed on still going towards the Negev. I love that. He didn't just go, man, I've been to church once. I'm out. I'm done. He journeyed on. He followed hard after God. He built altars to God. We remember him for the altars that he built most specifically in 22. When he took his son, his only son, and did what God called him to do. And he journeyed on. He carried on until the end. He wasn't just a one-timer. And so for us, we follow hard after God. God has given us instructions. We do what he says in the Bible. God wants us to build something. Paul talks about that in Ephesians. We're building the church together. We're to make his name famous. So we learn of God and we learn of what he calls us to do in the Bible. We come together as a people and we build and we don't just do it once. We're done. April 17th, we're done, right? No more Eagle Bible Church. Just kidding. For those who may be listening, we're done. No, we journey on. We'll come back next week for Easter. 
Then, oh, well, let's end on Easter. No, we'll continue. May 1st, May 8th, May 15th, May 22nd, May 29th, and, and then next year. And then the fall, we'll pick up in 1210 and move on through Genesis, and we journey on. Follow hard after God, build altars to God, and journey on for God can be summarized like this. We exist to bring glory to God and good to the world as followers of Christ, committed to a church who's committed to something greater than ourselves, engaged in culture that we're journeying on for God. Father, you never change. You called Abram to follow hard after you called him to something he didn't quite know the extent of which how you would use him not knowing where he was going and in the same way you've called us you've saved us you've justified us and you're sanctifying us but until then you've given us a commission through your submissive son that we should go and make disciples of all nations As Abraham went, so we should go. Father, we cannot, absolutely cannot do this. We admit it. We are weak. We are sinful. And on our own, we are hopeless. But you, through your Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can strengthen us can let us walk in the power of the Spirit and bear fruits that we can be full of hope that the work we do here, you don't miss it. And so I pray for each and every person in this place. And I pray for all of our families who are enjoying time together over this spring break. Might you put in our hearts this idea that all of us every single person in here, every single family in this church, everyone is called to live for something greater than themselves. And it doesn't stop when our kids leave the house and it doesn't stop just across the street. It goes from across the street to across the world. So Father, we don't want to fall short of doing what you've called us to do. Enable us. Give us much grace. Give us much mercy. Use us mightily for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.